So the lie we're talking about today, the myth that we are going to bust, is the myth that God wants all Christians, I was looking forward to it, sorry, right there, the myth that God wants all Christians to be rich. You guys ever heard that? Jay Kaz talks about it a lot. Yeah, so it's kind of popular, and it's gained a lot of traction in different areas, so I guess we'll hear about that uh, coming up here. But a lot of different pastors and leaders are starting to say some things that most of us would recognize is kind of crazy right from the start. Things like Jesus was wealthy because at his birth, the wise men brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. So he was wealthy right from the start, and he remained wealthy throughout his life, right? Uh, I heard one pastor put it this way. He said, the reason we know Jesus was wealthy is that people never follow a poor man, but they'll always follow the rich. So Jesus, since people followed him, had to be rich. This, this pastor, quote-unquote, has no clue what Jesus was all about, uh, specifically because Jesus had not, he wasn't leading people uh, in a materialistic way, but in a spiritual way. Jesus was really clear about that. All right, remember what he told the rich young ruler about his wealth? To sell it and give it to the poor if he wanted to make it into heaven? Not quite the thing you'd expect from somebody that is rich and trying to lead everybody to be like him, right? Uh, number two, I heard a pastor put it this way. He said, we know Jesus was rich because he rode a donkey, right? Well, that wasn't his typical mode of transportation, but in this man's mind, I guess it was. And he says, only the rich would, eat, would, uh, would ride a donkey in that day. The poor would eat their donkey. And I said, that, that's just ignorant, first of all. Even if you were poor, you could make a lot more money from that donkey working for you than eating it, right? Eating, that'd be like eating your beamer. <laughs> be pretty stupid. So I would contend that only a rich, eccentric person would do something like that, and truly the poor or the needy would ride that donkey and make the most of it. Uh, so you hear these crazy statements trying to prove it, an ideological point about Jesus' wealth. Another one says that Jesus was wealthy because he had a personal treasure, Judas. Well, there were 12 men that needed to travel along with Jesus and needed a lot paid for. There was a the Bible tells us that there was a support team that supported Jesus, right? And so it makes sense that one of the disciples would manage that money, make sure that everything got paid, that they had money to eat. You don't have to be rich to do that. I've led summer projects where we have seven people, 20 people. You know, we even had over 30 for a period of time. And we always had one or two people that were assigned to taking care of all the money for the team, make sure we all had food to eat and to get where we needed to go. And we were by no means rich, right? Another point is that Jesus had expensive clothes. Right? Well, first of all, I guess that's kind of a side point. <laughs> Who knows? I'm pretty sure all of us have had some kind of expensive article of clothing in our lives and weren't rich. And finally, uh, is the story about the woman who anointed Jesus before he was killed. And, and people say that because she anointed him with this expensive oil, that he was rich. Which is funny because even Jesus saw that as an act of worship. You know, and he, and he mentioned that that story would be told of him anywhere the gospel was preached had nothing to do with his wealth. In fact, if it had anything to do with anyone's wealth, it was hers, not his, right? So a lot of these statements are absolutely absurd, and you can see it's people trying to force fit the scripture into their own ideology to make it say something that it doesn't say, and then trying to force you, right, this is Jake's favorite thing, to give them lots of money. I've heard people, <clears throat> actually I was at a friend's house once, and they had a statement up, they kind of bought into some of this, and in this this plaque that they got from this uh, from this ministry that, that they had to buy, right? You pay $20 and then the person prays for you that your mortgage would 
<coughs> excuse me, would be paid and that it would disappear. And the whole verse said, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but it said something to the effect of, and dot 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 the king dot 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 shall make dot 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 your house dot 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 free. Okay, and so they're trying to say that God would make your house free by contributing to their ministry, right? So they would get if you contributed so much to their ministry, it would get you out of a mortgage. Well, who doesn't want to get out of a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage? So this friend of mine sent a couple twenties and actually got two plaques that had that verse on there. Uh, so curious, out of curiosity, I looked up the verse. And this has been a long time, so I forget where it was. But it, it had something to do with, um, it was when David was facing Goliath. And uh, Saul proclaimed, if anybody will go fight this guy, uh, I will you know, make his family and his house free. And so somebody chopped it out to make it look like it was talking about God. In reality, Saul was saying, any Israelite that goes and kills Goliath, I'm going to take him out of all of his financial problems. I'm going to hook this guy up, right? This had nothing to do with God buying your house for you. But this ministry was changing scripture and manipulating scripture to get you to pay them money so they could get rich at your expense. And this is something that we've seen a lot. I'm going to mention um, 1 Peter 5.2. It says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. This is talking to leaders, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, right? And 1 Timothy 3.3 says leaders cannot be greedy for money or lovers of money. So when you see ministries and leaders like this that are trying to hoard money for themselves from their congregations, this is about as bad a sin as sin gets for God's people, God's leaders, to be treating his people that way. It's sick and disgusting. So we're going to talk about the myth that God wants every Christian to be rich, and we're going to start with the scripture, which is uh, you, Heather, right? All right, why don't you come and share with us what you found? Thank you. And 
first principle that I want to talk about is the principle of loving your God, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and um, the whole love your neighbor self as yourself thing being um, the first and foremost, like most important commandment. Um, and that's talked about in Mark 12, 29 through 31. Um, and just the fact that if your whole heart is focused on God um, and like your love for God overflows to loving your neighbors and stuff like that, then there isn't really room for love of money or love of material things um, and stuff like that. Um, the second principle is greed. Um, and the verses that I have for that were 1 Timothy 6.10 and Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. Um, and the first Timothy one says just about money being the root of all evil. Um, says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money um, have wandered from the faith and perceived themselves with many griefs. Um, and it just talks about like people that had faith um, just falling away from the faith and then um, in that just being grieved by things, um, I think, kind of points to how, like, loving money is just not a good thing at all. Um, and then the second one, the Ecclesiastes one, um, says, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth never is satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. Um, that points to you just because, like, people who really love money and chase after it, like, it's never enough for them. Um, and the whole idea of loving God and being satisfied with him is that you have enough. Like, Christ's love is sufficient for us. Um, and so it's meaningless, like, chasing after. It's just meaningless because you have everything you need in Christ. Um, and then just to be content is another principle. Um, Hebrews 3, 5 says... Not Hebrews, sorry. 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, I never leave you nor forsake you. Um, so just being content with what we have. Like, we don't need a lot. We have God. He's sufficient. Um, and then this whole idea that God, that we see in a couple different verses of, um, like God giving us stuff and therefore it's not really ours to keep um, and to give generously um, in Deuteronomy 15.10 and Psalms 3.37.21 it talks about just giving generously and then um, in Philippians 4.16-19 talks about how the Philippians gave to Paul and how Paul is writing to them and kind of thanks them but says that it wasn't like them giving him, he's not delighted in their gifts but the fact that they give um, and that act is pleasing to God and then in Matthew 25 it says to be good stewards um, which also talks about the talents and stuff um, and just like I don't know what stands out to me in that passage is like the two that he said that he would like the two stewards of his talents that were good stewards, I guess, not the one that buried it in the ground. He they invested in it and they gave more. Um, 
all for the glory of God, which I think that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, and then I have first, no, yeah, that's it. You don't need to write all those verses on the board. on signs and wonders, that's the first one. Um, like Nate was talking about, um, in the situation, like, there's lots of situations where prosperity gospelists will think, will say that, um, like, if your grandma's in the hospital, that uh, it's up to you and your uh, amount of faith uh, that your grandma will be healed or not. So if you have enough faith, then your grandma will be healed. If you don't, then your grandma won't be healed. It's up to you. That's just kind of putting emphasis on, like, spectacular things, spectacular healings, and stuff like that. Um, division among believers, uh, that's kind of the same thing. That as, like, you know, if you have that gospel and certain people are prospering in life and other people are not prospering in life from, like, a, uh, a financial standpoint, uh, that's going to cause believers to divide. Some are going to be like, hey, why am I not getting money and you are? Um, we're both believing in God, aren't we? Another one would be the third one, flattery and nice-sounding arguments that are actually empty, um, but deceive the naive. Um, that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, it's not scriptural to say that if we love God, we'll get lots of money. Um, and lots of people are deceived by that, that uh, as we love God, we'll have problems in this world, and that we will be very wealthy. Uh, another one would be a special revelation from God, um, an uncommon form of Christianity. Um, I can't remember why I circled that. Anyway, so let's move on. Um, distraction from doing God's work by faith. Um, that was kind of the first thing I talked about, that like you have this different idea of faith, that faith is like uh, basically a sign of power, I guess. That if you have faith in God, like life's going to be good, uh, your crops are going to be wiped away, you're going to have lots of money. Uh, yeah. They consider themselves teachers of God's word, yet have a poor understanding of it. That kind of goes back to that deceiving the naive thing that um, they don't really have a good idea of God's word. Uh, if they think that loving God and having faith in God means you'll be rich. Uh, moving on down to number 15 sensuality and an appeal to people's fleshly desires and emotions. Definitely, you know, people were, these people were all uh, selfish, we're all greedy. Uh, you know, most people, we have like an inborn desire to, I guess, thrive in this world and to be wealthy. Um, and so that meets people's desires, their, uh, their, their inborn desires to uh, have wealth. Um, uh, another obvious one greed and materialism, it's kind of the topic at hand itself. Um, and the promise of freedom, or something more. 
promise of freedom from your financial troubles, like the promise of freedom from a mortgage if you believe in God. Um, yeah, that's about it. Like I said, it meets all of them, but those are the kind of the main ones that I kind of pointed out. I'm going to quickly be talking about the history behind uh, prosperity, I guess, as a theology. Um, a way to put it as a definition would be that God provides material prosperity for those who he favors. And by no means is that scriptural. They take, they're basically taking scripture out of context to state something like that. And I'll, go, I'll get into that a little bit, a little bit, but... Um, <clears throat> It first arose in the United States, I don't know if it first arose, but it, it became popular in the United States after World War II by a man named Oral Roberts. Um, but it became like over pop, like more popular in the 90s, um, and I think a lot of this just has to do with American materialism, basically, and how it's just constantly growing and growing and growing, and people are like, Searching for, <clears throat> searching to fuel those desires more and more, you know, and putting their, their trust in what's physical and materialistic, I guess. Um, a journalist, Hosanna Rosen, said that the prosperity gospel is not a clearly defined denomination, um, but a strain belief that runs through a surprising number of materialism evangelical churches. With, a very, with very degrees of intensity. So it's kind of like on an individual level, and it's something that's not totally spoken, so you can't just pinpoint it, um, which makes it even more complicated, I guess, um, and makes it super appealing, especially like, you know, it's something that's been um, like preached to a lot of less part, like prosperous parts of the world. You look at Africa, two about 25,000 people came to Christ on an average of 10 years. And, um, but a lot of, a lot of these, these people that were coming to Christ seemed to be doing so because they were, I don't know if they were being promised, but they were looking for the hope to prosper and gain rich, like richness, I guess. And obviously it's the wrong tactic because when things don't go as planned, they're immediately going to reject Christ. Um, and so, it becomes a dangerous situation, I guess. Um, and it honestly, like, if we look at it from a, from a perspective of Scripture, some of the areas where they've been pulling this out is, um, well, like John 10.10 10, um, states the fact that, I have come that they may have life, and that life might be more abundant. And people are taking that in the wrong context and thinking that, it has to do with physical prosperity, and obviously, Jesus was talking about um, the fact that he's come to give you more of a prosperous life in terms of your spirituality, you know, in terms of your connection with the Lord, and people kind of distort that and take it out of context, and they talk about, um, the main one is the sow of a seed, um, and they, what they're saying is that God will give back for what you do, so essentially, if you look at this, it's almost like you're, not only are you gaining your salvation based on your works on earth, but the life on earth um, that you have, like the prosperity that you have on earth, 
is based off of what you're doing. And that's just, that does not go aligned. It's not aligned with scripture. So they just kind of manipulate the scripture. It's sort of feed it in, um, kind of under the radar. It's just a dangerous, dangerous thing. We need to be aware of it, I guess. So yeah, that's kind of the history. to remove Christ and, and the cross from the gospel and it replaced it with uh, prosperity, like American style prosperity that he um, and the accumulation of wealth and material goods doesn't really serve the purpose of the gospel, it just kind of serves the purposes of just pleasing yourself pretty much and also it's, there's a lot of false promises out there it's like if you accept Christ then you're going to be wealthy you're going to do this you're going to be healed from the sickness which has a lot of appeal because if you let's say you are suffering you're a family member that's suffering and you you want to help them you want the best for them which is good but if you believe in something like this it's just a false promise and it doesn't it doesn't deliver and then also it tends to neglect the spiritual well-being of the people and it puts more emphasis on your physical well-being, so your physical materials and possessions and whatnot. So, yeah, the fruit overall, the fruit is it is a distraction from what the gospel really needs. Wow, <laughs> that is that's really good too, Samantha. I mean, that was observant, and I think the emphasis on the physical rather than the spiritual is at the heart of this, and that's really good that you got that. If your worldview says, I'm supposed to be happy and wealthy and healthy and not have any problems, when those problems happen, what is the first thing you think? Blame it on God. Where is God? Why didn't God come through? Or, what's the other thing you think? You're not having enough faith. Self-condemnation, right? So it's either doubt or self-condemnation, which are really just not good. They're disastrous. And I think... Uh, what if your worldview says that I'm supposed to be content no matter what my circumstances, like Paul talked about in Philippians 4, which he read? What if your worldview says, uh, I think it was Heather that read, that I'm supposed to um, thank God and be joyful no matter uh, what's happening, kind of pure joy when you face these trials of various kinds, right? Did you read that? James 1, 2, 3, 4. If that's your worldview, that like you said, God is sufficient, that He is everything, that the people around me are more important than what I have, what happens when you encounter one of those trials? I don't doubt God or myself. Does that make sense? I don't go down to self-condemnation or up to pride. I don't start to doubt God. Um, but I, I confidently walk through those situations, empowered by Him and His Holy Spirit, being the witness that He's called me to be. Isn't that great? Right. So this all goes back to our worldview, and I'll encourage you, you guys are going to face... You guys have probably heard this before. Somebody put it this way. They said either you're uh, in, the, either you're just about to go into a trial, or you're in the middle of a trial, or you're just on your way out of a trial right now. And they said no matter where you're at in your life, you're always at one of those three stages. And it's kind of true. Uh, the idea that I'm gonna have a long period of time without any kind of trials—it's nonsense. You won't. You live in a fallen, sinful world where you're gonna be hurt and you're gonna have needs and they're gonna be people that come against you and there are going to be issues that are hard and circumstances that are difficult. And when Jesus promised an abundant life, he wasn't just saying you're going to be rich, but he was saying no matter what your circumstances, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. You'll have joy, you'll have peace, you'll have all this fruit. 
uh, regardless of the circumstances. In other words, you will be able to abundantly live above your circumstances by faith. Isn't that good? It's better than anything the prosperity gospel could ever, ever give. So is it wrong for Christians to be rich? No. Okay. No? What do you guys think? I think it can, if you don't give the glory back to God, it can be something that can cause you to stumble, mm -hmm. which is why God says to beware of it. Mm -hmm. um, and who's, who shared that? Did you share it? Yeah. Someone shared a, a scripture yeah. on that. You're know. right on the money. But exactly, you know, um, in the fact that, but at the same time, if you do give it to the glory of God, then you're going to use it to, to give back to the kingdom, I guess, and it can be a huge benefit at the same time. Romans 12 puts it this way, talking about spiritual gifts that you each have. It says, if it, if your spiritual gift is contributing to the needs of others, then let him give generously. Okay, talking about if somebody's gift is, is uh, giving. Now, here's what I would say. I'd say if you find yourself to be rich at some point in life, take by faith that one of your spiritual gifts is giving. Okay, just take by faith. Because it says right here that if your gift, if your spiritual gift is giving, then to give generously. In other words, you'll have the capacity to give generously, right? A widow in Africa with not a penny to her name is probably just might not have the gift of giving. She might in other ways, but at least not financially, right? She has nothing to give. If you find yourself to be a wealthy Christian, uh, take by faith that you have the gift of giving, and then use that money for the glory of God. Give it away as fast as you can. And then watch God give you more so that you can give more away. We've known people like this, and it's exciting to see what they can do for God's kingdom. Right? In fact, the ranch, the Great Commission Training Center, is a reality because <clears throat> somebody is giving extremely generously to make that happen. That's exciting. Right? So if you ever find yourself to be rich, then give generously uh, and assume that one of your spiritual gifts is giving. And I would, uh, on the flip side of that, I would say all of you are rich. Right? If you live in America, you're wealthy. And even as a college student, and we can and should be giving more. Don't ever build up in your mindset the idea that I'm giving enough where I'm at right now. Uh, a lot of awesome Christian leaders, Brian Moritz is one of the leaders speaking a lot. He has decided that he's cutting off his income. He and his wife sat down. Uh, John Wesley set the example for this uh, and did this a couple hundred years ago. But decided, this is how much money I need to survive and to provide for my family. For the rest of my life, no matter how much money I could ever get, I'm going to give all of that away above that level. Is that not awesome? Okay, and a lot of Christian leaders are, are starting to go this way, and it's so cool. Guys that are making lots of money off books that they write and things like that and giving it all away above what they need. Is that Jake? Uh, I think his name's True Cathy, the guy who uh, owns Chick-fil-A. Uh -huh. uh, he does what he calls a reverse tithe, and he gives 90% of what he earns every month uh, to the church. Heck yeah, dude. <clears throat> That's awesome, yeah. right? It's uh, Randy Alcorn put it that way, said yeah. in the Treasure Principle, he said you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, <laughs> all right? So let's, let's be generous with the resources that God gives us. Let's be wise stewards of those resources. All right, guys, I'm going to read a few verses, and, and then we'll close it out and, and get out of here. But I guess the main idea, always, 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 always for the rest of your life, have this mentality of how can I be more generous with what I already have, right? Okay, Jesus promised us, talking about the troubles in this life, Jesus promised us in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I wanted to go back to it, we kind of got into that verse. Uh, but the reality is that you will have trouble in this world. Jesus promised it. 
and that's not the only place that it's promised in Scripture. So anticipate it and realize that he will walk you through it. Okay, back to giving generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, I think you read this. No, maybe not. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'll just tell you guys a few stories. I want to encourage you, and I don't want to keep us too late, uh, so I'll try and keep this short. But uh, we, when we were raising support, we were going out by faith. This is uh, almost eight years ago, Aaron and I, to come on staff here. And yeah, I guess seven years. It was 2004, so seven years ago. We were, we were going out raising support. And we are in the middle of a three-month trip. We're actually in the beginning of a three-month trip. We we're supposed to go through 29 states and be on the road for three months. We didn't have almost a penny to our names, maybe a couple hundred bucks at most. It wasn't going to get us through 29 states, right? And so this is totally by faith. We are in the middle of Texas on the first leg of our trip, and there is no guarantee we are going to be able to have money to get home. That was literally kind of the step that we were taking. And we were trusting God. I had 40 bucks in my pocket, and we were speaking at a church that morning, just sharing briefly about our ministry and inviting people to support us. And I had 40 bucks. First, we were there two services. First service, I put $20 in the offering plate, you know. And so the second service comes along, and what, what, am I, what do you think I'm thinking when they say, okay, we're going to give an offering? What's going through my head? I already gave 20 bucks. I don't have to give another 20 bucks. I know that 20 bucks is in my pocket, and I'm thinking, I'm not giving that God. I already gave, and we don't have anything. In, God, you know, we're trusting you. We're taking this big step of faith. I've already tithed. I don't need to give you that money, God. And I started feeling this conviction. Of the Holy Spirit was convicting me of the way I was treating my money. He was, I was treating it as mine, not God's. And he was telling me, clearly, give that money. And so finally, I decided in my mind, just in my mind, I will give that money. You know, I will give that 20 bucks. And no sooner had I made that decision in my head, this is no joke, that the worship leader in front of the whole group says, how many of you guys like what Aaron and Nate are doing? Everybody raises their hand. How many of you would support them if you financially have the capability to do that? Everybody raises their hand, and then this person says, well, I'm just here to tell you that you do have the capacity to do that. You might have to skip lunch this afternoon or uh, go lighter on your entertainment for the month, but you can support them, so uh, why don't you go right now and support them? <laughs> so this worship continues, and we're all singing, for 30 minutes, I had people come up and reaching their hands in my pockets, in my back pockets, front pockets. We, I mean, we were, checks were like loading up our pockets everywhere. We were almost broke on this trip. We, at the end of that day, we had $700 cash and much more in checks. And I'm not kidding you guys. Uh, I, I'm not saying this to say, hey, manipulate God, give so you can get lots of money. But that is just a small example of many stories in our life where we did not have much to give, and we gave it. And then God faithfully, almost instantly every time, gave a lot more in return. Another one was just recently. We wanted to give a large amount of money. I mean, for us, it was a very large amount of money. And to somebody that had a big need. And we didn't have a lot at the time, you know. And I say this uh, just for your benefit to hear how good God is. Uh, we wanted to give $1,000. I'm not saying that to like make us look good at all. And that to us on a missionary budget is a lot of money, right? And I was really freaked out about it. I was like scared, you know. And we had just had $19,000 in medical bills that God provided for, provided for, by the way. And so I'm thinking, we don't have a whole lot of money, you know, we have a lot of bills coming up, we have more expenses in the future that I can foresee. And my wife, she's so awesome, she's like, we're giving it, let's give it, let's give it, let's give it. 
And so we gave that thousand, and I'm not kidding you, like two days later, um, somebody gave us a check for a thousand five hundred. And that's, like God, we've seen this happen so many times, guys, where if, if God is encouraging you to be generous, do it. And you, you will watch God meet your needs in return. And he's not here just to make you rich, but he will, he will meet your needs. Okay, so I'm going to just go through a few verses that I hope encourage you a ton. Luke 18.25, Jesus said about rich people, It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Not talking very highly of rich people. James 5.1-6 puts it this way about wealth, and this is speaking to Christians that are rich, that don't glorify God with their money, but that are stingy with their money. And listen to what it says, James 5.1-6, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Can you believe that? When you have hoarded wealth in the last days, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Isn't that intense? Okay, come to Christians. That's being spoken to Christians that are wealthy. So uh, we don't want to hoard our wealth. We want to be giving it away as God gives to us. Proverbs 23, 5, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 38-9, uh, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, poverty nor riches. I can't even speak tonight. Uh, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Right? So guys, uh, my encouragement to you is to love God more than money. right? And to love him actively by giving your money away for the rest of your life. 2 Timothy 3.2 says, In the last days people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. That describes our society. You're going to be told, especially when you get a college degree, make the most of it, make lots of money, go big, you know, get the most you can. And I'm telling you, that is not how God works. And if you ever do make a lot of money, give it away, right? Let God use you for his purposes and give it away. Uh, so that's pretty good, right? Would you say that myth is busted? God wants everything to be rich. All Christians. What's that? Busted. Okay, I'm going to write busted. We didn't even have the actual myth up there, but it's busted. So give, give, and give, and if you, especially if you find that you're uh, wealthy in life, assume that your spiritual gift is giving, and if you don't find yourself to be wealthy, give uh, equally much. All right, guys, uh, who wants to pray?